Welcome to the Christ Central Podcast. We are a church in South Brooklyn that exists to help people find their place in God's big story. You're about to listen to a message that was shared in one of our Sunday gatherings. If you have any questions about the church, visit our website, www.christcentral.nyc. Good morning! I, as Nick said, am Rhiannon, and um, I am married to Seth. We have four boys here, and um, we are a part of the team starting this church here in Brooklyn. Um, excuse my voice today. I actually woke up yesterday with this ginormous migraine, um, which was a real bummer considering the fact that I'm preaching today, but we're good. This is the splash zone, so I have my tissues and everything, but like, be warned. Um, if I sneeze or start coughing or need to drink some of my throat coat tea. Um, so we've been going through the book of Philippians. And um, when I, we're going through, yeah, Philippi- oh, I forgot my Bible. Ah, oh, that's a great start to a preach. Can I borrow yours? <laughs> I remember the iPad, but uh, not, not the Bible. Um, So yeah, I'm preaching through Philippians uh, 2, verses 12 to 18. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, or it's actually on your lyric sheet also. So we're just going to read through this real quick. Is this the ESV? Oh, I'll just read from the thing then. All right. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I'm just going to pray real quick. God, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you that... Um, <coughs> that the Bible is truth and that we can find so much of who you are within it, God. I thank you that you are here with us this morning. I thank you for the truths that have been spoken during worship. And um, we just pray, God, today that you would um, continue to to meet with us here, God. Speak to our hearts. um, Help me to communicate what it is that you would want me to communicate, Father. And I pray that we would all be changed by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So. Um, when I prepare something like this, my process is actually pretty simple. It's pretty much just read, 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 read. Um, read the Bible, read some commentary, read the Bible some more, read some commentary, and another commentary, and then a different translation of the Bible. Like, I'm just kind of reading the, the, this passage in as many ways as possible. And as I was reading and rereading these verses over and over, I had three things really stick out to me. First is uh, the word cultivate. Uh, because verse 12 says to work out your salvation. Uh, I've been a Christian my whole life. Um, but as we've been through some storms over the past three, 
few years, I've learned what it means to really work out my salvation by cultivating my own relationship with God. Um, you know, I, I feel like when you let God into certain areas of your life, even out of sheer desperation, you'll find that he is good and trustworthy and he has a solution to everything. Uh, the second thing that stood out to me is contentment. Uh, verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. And man, that's hard. It says do all things without grumbling or questioning. But I think words are so powerful. So if we're using our words to complain and question God, then what is that doing for us? I believe that that creates an attitude of discontent. But the good news is that the opposite of that is also true. Gratitude and trust breed contentment. So how do we use the opposite of that? By rejoicing and proclaiming truth. And then the third thing that really stood out to me was clinging. I'm going through the, for the alliteration thing today. Cultivate contentment and clinging. Verse 16 says, hold fast to the word of life. And these days, I'm holding on to dear life, for, holding on for dear life to truth. Uh, when my circumstances have seemed to be uncertain, declaring and clinging to truth has kept me grounded and kept me strong when I could have crumbled under the weight of stress, anxiety, failure, disappointment, stress, all that. So uh, let's talk about cultivating. So verse 12, it says, uh, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right. Uh, so let's back it up a little bit and, and talk about how um, the Bible talks a lot about works and a lot about grace. And works in the Bible refers to the things that we do to try to impress God, um, like obeying the law. And the truth is that these things, they take a lot of effort and they're actually really exhausting. Um, but, and then there's grace on the other side. And grace refers to something that we receive from God. Um, it's, it's defined as unmerited favor. Um, it's, it's really, grace is really God pouring out on us his love lavishly. Um, and I looked up the word lavish, and it actually means sumptuously rich and luxurious. So just, just imagine the best, most luxurious, rich kind of love, and that's, that's God's grace on us. Um, we are just a small startup church here in Brooklyn, but we're part of, part of a bigger family of churches called Confluence, and we are big on grace. Really, really big on grace. Um, you know, grace the undeserved approval and love of God. And I'm not talking about cheap grace, uh, you know, where we can do whatever we want because God still loves us anyways. Um, we're talking about the grace in which our actions are actually propelled by knowing the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. And that's um, one of our favorite ways to describe the love of God. It's actually in the Jesus Storybook Bible that we read to our kids most nights. Um, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So, so to, I said, said all that, and to, to kind of explain that, you know, by saying work out your salvation, um, Paul's not saying that we have to work at or earn our way to God. Uh, in the Bible, Romans says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And um, Seth has given an illustration before about the hierarchy of goodness. Um, and talks about how, like, if, if, you, if you imagine the wall, it's like a measure of goodness. And the, the top being, like, we think that the top is, is Jesus, 
Mother Teresa, you know, all, all the good, you know, people in the world, Ellen DeGeneres, like all those, all those people are at the top of the list. And then you go down and you find like serial killers and people that I can't say because I want to be politically correct and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then in the middle is, is us. Like we fall somewhere in the middle there. Um, but the Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So actually the truth is that we all fall somewhere along this, along this um, measure of goodness. But God, Jesus, is really the sky, the moon, the stars. Like he's, he's way, way, way far up there. and We can't even measure up to his goodness. Um, but we're justified by God's grace as a gift. And what I love about this is that this means that we are declared not guilty. Say not guilty. Not guilty. We are declared not guilty by God because we have been rescued by Jesus. We have been saved from our own sin and imperfections by him because he died in our place on the cross, taking on our imperfections. And then he defeated, say defeated. Defeated. He defeated death by his resurrection. And the Bible says that death couldn't keep a grip on him. And I, I love that. Like he literally like slipped through the hands of death. Death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him in the grave, and because of that, we're able to live freely. So what does it mean to work out your salvation? Back to the passage. So salvation is such a Christian-y word, but basically it means that we have been rescued or saved from sin and its consequences because of our belief in Jesus. So when we accept that as our truth, that's it. We believe, we're saved, it's a pretty sweet deal. But this says to work out your salvation. So how can I, how can I work out what's already been given? Um, and I think it's helpful to think of salvation as a muscle. So we all have muscles when we're born. Uh, and we develop them as we grow. But if we are, lie in bed our entire lives, what's going to happen to them? <laughs> so if we don't use our muscles, they're going to atrophy. Muscles that don't get used will start to deteriorate. And so we need to work out our salvation in the same way that we work out our muscles so that we can become strong. But how? And that's where cultivate comes in. If you really want something, you work at it, right? You work at the job. You work at the perfect figure. You work at the relationship. You work at the skill. And in the same way that we devote time and energy and resources into those things, we need to do the same thing with our relationship with God. And honestly, I'm not very good at cultivating. My MO for most of my life, has been to give up as soon as something gets hard. So I'm kind of cultivating my cultivating, if you will. Um, But we can take heart knowing that God, it's God that works in us. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. God is helping us to cultivate this relationship. Will and work, as it says in the verse, are two very different things, right? Will is a desire, And then work is the act that follows. And so God's helping us with both. But he's also not going to make us cultivate this relationship. He's not a God who imposes himself on us or forces us into this relationship. Um, But as with any relationship, this is a two-way street, like between us and God. Um, I really have this desire to get up early in the morning. Um, Doesn't always happen. But, uh, but I set my alarm clock for about 6, 6 a.m. every morning, and um, I, I hit snooze, I 
hit snooze, I hit snooze most days, and then eventually I get up around like 6.20 or 6.30. Try to get up before the kids, but usually they're scrambling in their own room and coming in and out of their bedroom and all that stuff. But, um, but if I want to spend time with God in the morning, he's not going to physically like pull me out of bed to get to spend time with him, right? So I have to physically do that myself. I have to participate in this, in this relationship. I, I want to. I'll, I'll lie in bed and think I should really get out of bed right now. But unless I actually use my muscles to get out of bed, like, it's just not going to happen. So how do we participate in this relationship with God? My three ways that I participate in this, in this relationship is uh, by reading my Bible, through worship, and through journaling. But in my opinion, the best way to cultivate or work out your salvation is actually with someone else. Uh, my confession is that I haven't actually done this in about a year, but I'm hoping to start this again soon. A year ago, I went through the Book of Romans with Amy and Anya and Becca, and it's, it was just amazing to be able to like read a, read a little chunk of the, of, the, um, of the book a day and just kind of text back and forth about what that meant to us or what stood out to us or what we were struggling with and how it applied to our lives. So find someone to read the book, a book of the Bible with. Go section by section. Read it over and over and over and over. The more you read it, the more things will stand out to you. Um, so that's why I read and read and read and read it over and over and over. Um, but even when I read things over and over like that, I can still get hung up on certain words or phrases. For example, with fear and trembling. We see it right here. and I'm just, I read it over and over and over, and I still didn't know quite what it meant. Um, I thought, like, I've already been rescued, so now what's with this fear and trembling thing? And Alexander McLaren is a preacher from Glasgow, Scotland, who is known for his exposition of the Bible, and he explains it way better than I could. Um, And it's actually on your your lyric sheet. So he says, But you may say, perfect love casts out fear. So it does. The fear which has torment, it casts out. But there is another fear in which there is no torment, brethren. A fear and trembling which is but another shape of confidence and calm hope. Scripture does tell us that the believing man's salvation is certain. Scripture tells us it is certain since he believes. And your faith can be worth nothing unless it had, bedded deep in it, that trembling distrust of your own power, which is the prerequisite and the companion of all thankful and faithful reception of God's infinite mercy. And this part's really good. Your horizon ought be full of fear if your gaze be limited to yourself. But oh, above our earthly horizon, with its fogs, God's infinite blue stretches untroubled by the mist and cloud which are earthborn. I, as working, have need to tremble and to fear, but I, as wrought upon, have a right to confidence and hope a hope that is full of immortality, and an assurance which is the pledge of its own fulfillment. The worker is nothing. The worker in him is all. Fear and trembling when the thoughts turn to mine own sins and weakness. Hope and confidence when they turn to the happier version of God. Not I. There is the tremulous self-distrust, the grace of God in me. There is the calm assurance of victory. So, a way to kind of explain this in my own life is that um, some of you may know Seth and I just started our own business. Um, 
It's called Known Digital Marketing Agency. And it's been a real leap of faith, like a real leap of faith, but we really sense God leading us to do it. Seth left his role at his other digital marketing agency, and now this is it. Like this is, this is what we're depending on for, for income. And that could be terrifying. And at times it has been. But we're holding on to his promises, believing him when he says that he's going to provide, and he has. He really has. When we look at our circumstance or our bank account, we could be totally overwhelmed. And um, the what-ifs and worries could creep in. But we just keep choosing to believe him and believing that, that he is going to provide for us in the ways that we need to be provided for. And for me, that's actually a really new attitude. Um, it's one of trust and faith and contentment. So contentment, our second C. Um, so verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So we're back to the all things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. Cleaning the toilets, running errands, changing diapers, helping out a friend, serving with the kids, cooking dinner, all things. Paul uses this language of a crooked and twisted generation intentionally. Um, In the Bible, there's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. The Old Testament is story after story of God's relentless pursuit of his people pre-Jesus. And then the the New Testament starts with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and and then tells the story of the early church. And when he says the crooked and twisted generation, he's referring to the Israelites, who Seth was actually talking about earlier, the people that Moses led out of Egypt. And so you can read about that in the book of Exodus or watch Disney's Prince of Egypt. Has anybody seen Prince of Egypt? So good. It's not entirely historically accurate, but I mean, watch it anyway. It's amazing. Um, But the spark notes are that the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh for generations. I mean, like hundreds of years. They were intentionally oppressed. They were treated badly. They lived in terrible conditions. And God was like, enough. I'm not having it anymore. Those are my people. And so God chose Moses, born an Israelite but adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, to be the person to stand up to Pharaoh and demand that he let God's people go. Pharaoh straight out refused. And God sent ten plagues to come upon Egypt. And eventually Pharaoh caved and let the Israelites go free. So let's look at what God did for his people. God fought on behalf of his people by sending plagues. God made a way for them to be freed. God split the Red Sea so that they could escape the Egyptians. And like, that's no easy feat. Like, you don't just split a sea. But God did. He led them through the wilderness by a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. When they were hungry, he provided them with cake from heaven. Like cake from the sky. Uh, for, all, for all of us carb lovers. Um, and when they were thirsty, he gave them water from a rock. Like he just split, split open a rock and water comes gushing. Despite all of those things, and that's, that's not even everything, but despite all of those things, the Israelites still grumbled and complained. Like toddlers. Like, has anybody had a toddler that just, like, won't stop grumbling and complaining? Like, I'm so hungry. Like, give me a drink. This is the Israelites. They disputed. They literally would line up all day and wait to complain to Moses. Like, Moses would, like, listen to each one of their complaints one by one, 
they lined up all day just to complain. And for 40 years, they saw the provision of God over and over and over and over, but it was never enough for them. From grumbling and complaining and disputing comes doubt and unbelief. And then the Bible says they were never able to enter his rest because of their unbelief. They wandered for 40 years in the desert and they doubted the goodness of God. But it all started with grumbling and disputing. Even before they were out of Egypt. But the truth is, honestly, I find myself doing that exact same thing. Like I joke about the toddlers complaining, but how quickly do I forget when God does something really, really amazing and just move on to the next thing and ask for the next thing that I want or need? We talk a lot about authenticity in here and out there. We want to see people's behind the scenes. Like, we don't want to see people's highlight reel only. Like, we want to see everybody in their, in their um, authentic life. And I want to be real and authentic. But for some reason, the easiest way to do that seems to be by complaining. But can I be honest and real apart from grumbling and complaining? I think that's my challenge for us today. Oh, my kids are driving me nuts today. Had to buy new school supplies this week, so I guess we won't be able to pay rent. My new coworker is so annoying. <laughs> my husband has to work late again. Nobody understands what I'm going through. We could just change these statements around, or better yet, not say them at all. That's a good check to the heart right there for myself. Changing our statements. To be positive is actually so hard because it's so countercultural. Actually bragging on your job? Or your spouse? Or your kids? But back to verses 14 and 15. On this side. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're supposed to be countercultural because that brings light. And what does light do? Lights are used to make things evident. Lights are used to guide. Lights are used as a warning. Lights are used to bring cheer. Lights are used to make things safe. It might feel weird to refrain from complaining, but it could be what sets us apart from the rest. That and proclaiming truth, which brings me to our third C, the clinging. Uh, verse 16 says, hold fast to the word of life. To hold fast means to remain tightly secured. Hold fast to the word of life. Remain tightly secured to the word of life. Cling to the truth. Tether yourself to the truth. Get as much in you as you can. It might seem like just one more thing to do, but it's for our good. Amy posted a meme, Amy, Nick's wife, who's also helping us to lead this team here, uh, she posted a meme on Instagram the other day that said, if you don't have enough time to spend with Jesus each day, you're doing it wrong. It's another, like, kick in the stomach. Get to know Jesus. Spend time with him. Meditate on his words. And as you do, you'll see his affection for you and his desire to be with you. Cling to God and find rest as you trust his promises. 
I said this here before, but we need to take our focus off of our circumstance. Because when we look at our circumstance, we tend to stress, we tend to complain, we tend to strive. When we look at our circumstance, we don't cultivate because we're too busy trying to fix our situation. When we look at our circumstance, we aren't content because we see what we lack. When we look at our circumstance, we aren't clinging to God because we've made our circumstance the most important thing instead of Him. We need to put God between ourselves and our circumstances so that we see the infinite blue that McLaren was talking about and not the fog. We need to declare truth over our lives. Uh, We need to get out our Bibles or Google and find truth that speaks to our heart. Uh, For some reason, for the longest time, I thought that looking at Bible verses on Google was like cheating. I I thought that for some, if if I wasn't really going to work at it and like work to find it in the Bible, like it didn't count or something. Um, But I just want to wipe that lie right off. Like that's, like thank God for Google. Google can find things when I can't. Um, You're dealing with anxiety? Look at verses that deal with anxiety and tell yourself the truth. You feel hopeless? Look at verses about hope and tell yourself the truth. You feel like you have no purpose? Read about how God has a perfect plan for you that he prepared a long, long time ago. Feel rejected or abandoned? Read about how God will never leave you. Feel defeated? Read about how Jesus has overcome the world and defeated darkness and how we share in that victory. Cling to these truths and allow them to sink deep into your heart. Put them all over your house and declare them on the days that you're feeling strong, but also on the days where you can barely hold your head up. This is more than just the power of attraction, speaking out good and expecting it to come back to us. Speaking truth is just another way to cultivate. It's going to renew our minds and help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, which leads to contentment. So the beauty of all of this, the cultivating, the the contentment, and the clinging, is that it's all intertwined. Like, they all complement one another. So how can we go from here and practice this on the regular? I suggest that we cultivate with one another. Think of someone or a few people that are in this room, or not, who you can dig with. Let's cultivate and dig with other people. Text them this week and start reading a book of the Bible together. And you don't have to be together. Like, you, could just be, you can just be texting back and forth via WhatsApp or Messenger or whatever. Commit to reading it daily, and it doesn't have to be much. Like, this isn't like this huge, like, we don't have to take this huge bite. Like, you can just go through a few verses at a time, because I feel like it's better to actually read a few verses and really get the meat of what is being said than to read this huge long passage and just have it go over your head. Because how many times have I done that? Like, I, I go and I'm like, I have to read this chapter. This chapter is mine. And then I don't actually take anything in. Let's practice contentment by cutting out our complaining and replacing it with gratitude. We, I've said this before, but we have a, we have a list at home. Nick and Amy inspired us. It's this just huge piece of paper on one of our walls. And it's our, it's our gratitude list. And so every time that something happens that we're thankful for, we write it down on the wall. And when we're feeling like... We want to complain a little. We try to go over there and remember all the things that we've been provided with and all the things that God has done. Uh, Let's be sure that we don't end up like the Israelites whose complaining led to doubt and doubt to distrust 
and distrust to unbelief in the goodness of God. Complaining doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it's the trajectory that you don't want to be on. And as I've been sharing, maybe you felt something tug in your heart, like a situation, or a person, or a chore. It's probably that thing that makes your eyes roll every time you're faced with it. Pay attention to that much, because that's the Holy Spirit that's at work in you. And ask God to help you with whatever it is. And then, cling to the truth. Find it, say it out loud, put it on sticky notes around your house. Or on your lock screen on your phone. That's what I do sometimes. Um, cling to the truth and just fill yourself up with that. And those are, those are some of the amazing ways that you can actually practice cultivating contentment and clinging to the truth.